Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Content Confessions coming at you on a Thursday, September 2nd, 2021. As always, Hershey Staines, A15, aka Stone Samurai, joined by my brother, Steve, aka Stu. Stu, how's it going? Hey, Hirsch, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right. Um, pretty good over here. I uh, just want to start off and say apologies for the lack of podcasts uh, for the past week and a half, two weeks. Um, as most of you in my community know, some listeners may not know, uh, I had gotten married recently. August 21st was the wedding day. Woot woot. Um, now living the married life. And so with that planning, as well as some other stuff going on, it was just a little bit tough to get everything going. Um, but I appreciate everybody's patience. Uh, I know a lot of people, I had mentioned some of the some of the things we were going to be covering, and people have been getting excited. I kind of drummed up uh, the excitement for it again for the past couple of days. So I know some of you listening right now are just wanting me to get to it. But fucking deal with it. This is the intro, and I will take as long as I want to. Um, Stu, is there anything that you wanted to uh, chime in with, with a little bit of uh, personal news? or? No, I just wanted to reiterate, congratulations to you. going to ask how the marriage life has changed, but I know it's all the same. It just, you know, keeps yeah. on going the same way it was before. Yep, just the same, just uh, official and uh, different tax uh, brackets now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, just the paperwork that's different, right? Yep, well, the, the stress and hassle of the paperwork. Um, but no, thank you, and... Uh, it's it's been really nice. I the one thing I I'll quickly say just about the wedding. I think uh, besides getting to see my wife um, in her dress for the first time and exchanging our vows, I definitely think um, one of my favorite parts of the whole experience was just seeing everybody um, interact with one another, seeing everybody together, um, and just seeing people kind of come together for, for one common thing, which wasn't necessarily for Nikki and I, but it was just, uh, uh, I, I like to think of weddings and maybe I'm just a hopeless romantic, but uh, as a symbolism of love and uh, love is something that's different on many different levels. And it was just, it was really nice to see that and, and seeing all the support and seeing all the love that everybody was sending to us and uh, all the people who are thinking about us on our special day. Um, it really did. It it moved me a lot and um, definitely helped me lunge forward into the new chapter of my life that has started. So thank you to everybody who has been absolutely kind and amazing with all of the love and support. Um, Nikki and I are doing very well, and we are very excited for our futures. No, and I was very honored to even be taking a part in it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it. I, I tell you what, man, that, gosh, there, there was a lot of good memories, a lot of good mental pictures from that day. I kind of did the um, Jim Helpert thing where, you know, he's talking to Pam and he's like, yeah, you know, mental we gotta, photo. yeah, get a little mental photo. I, I did a couple of those because there was a lot of chaotic moments. Um, we didn't have a Michael Scott walking around with Kleenex uh, boxes on his feet. <laughs> um, but we had uh, our fair share of developments throughout the day, but overall an amazing experience. But enough about me. Uh, the DJ played more than just the police. Yes. No, we had a lot more than the police. Uh, the 
The DJ was phenomenal. Everything was phenomenal. Um, but let's get into it. Uh, I know we're going to be starting off with a subject, Steve, that you wanted to talk about. It's something that we've been talking about quite a bit on the uh, on the freeform or freestyle episodes. So I'll let you go ahead and get into it. Yeah, I just wanted to just one last time, probably because baseball season is starting to wind down. And unfortunately, the team that he plays for sucks besides him and a couple other guys. So he's not going to be going past September, really. But that's Shohei Otani. I've mentioned him a couple times before. He's the Japanese-born baseball player for the Los Angeles Angels. Great two-way player doing stuff we have never seen before. You know, great pitcher, great hitter. I just wanted to touch on a little bit of of an update of what I had talked about before. I think the last time we talked about him was about him and like how it reminded me of Ichiro coming over and kind of, uh, you know, bringing over a whole new culture, a brand new way of getting excited about baseball again. But he did it in a much different way. I think he's having what you can probably consider one of the greatest seasons in baseball ever. He's not having the greatest offensive season ever. He's not having the greatest pitching season ever. But when you combine the two aspects together, he's providing something that we haven't seen in baseball really since Babe Ruth. And there's another guy who doesn't really get mentioned at all because he played in the Negro Leagues, but his name was uh, Bullet Rogan. He, uh, he's probably the closest comparison to what Shohei Otani has been able to do. But since it was in the Negro Leagues, it never gets the attention. And it was only just recently that actually Major League Baseball combined Negro League statistics into the overall Major League Baseball statistics to make them more official. But Shohei is doing stuff that really only this bullet Rogan and really not even Babe Ruth because Babe Ruth wasn't really the pitcher that Otani has been this season. Um, Babe Ruth was a much better hitter overall in all aspects but he wasn't nearly the pitcher that Otani has been. And there was a reason why Ruth ended up becoming a full-time hitter overall. Uh, I think it's one of those things where it's, it's hard to put in perspective because baseball has such a long history and all those different names that you always hear Hirsch, you know, like Babe, you know, when you're talking about a guy compared to Babe Ruth, you know, you're, you're in rare and elite territory. Yeah. Well, but I mean, like I said, go ahead. There, there's, I was just going to say, cause I mean, when it comes to baseball, right? Like, you know, it's America's pastime. It's been around for a long time. So, you have, you know, the Ty Cobbs, you have the Hank Aarons, you have the Babe Ruth's, you have, you know, even more modernized, you know, the Albert Pujols and uh, the Mike Piazzas and, you know, all of those guys. Yeah, like we saw Miguel Cabrera just, you know, um, hit his 500 career home run for the Tigers earlier this, mm-hmm. uh, this or you know, just about a couple of weeks ago, I believe. <clears throat> so, you know, there's guys that are, he might be one of the greatest right-handed hitters of all time. So there's a lot of greatness that continues to happen, and it's always hard to put it in perspective. But like I mentioned, I know Otani isn't having you know the best season in any one of these aspects. He doesn't really play defense. He mainly DHs when he's playing offense, and then you know he you know plays defense on the mound, obviously, but that's only so much. So he's not always adding value in that aspect. So the stats don't always match up, but he's leading the league in home runs and on base percentage and slugging percentage, all that kind of stuff. But he's also having a great pitching season where he's in the top 10 in ERA, in uh, whip, all that kind of, you know, all that kind of stuff that you can get into the stats on. But an- another article that I had read put it very, very much the way I was thinking about it. Not only is he doing all this stuff that's really magical, but he's doing it in a really fucking awesome way. Like the guy hits home runs and the, the bat just sounds like it's uh, like demolishing the ball whenever he gets a hold of it. Uh, the way he pitches, you know, he- he's not throwing, you know, like, 
low 90 stuff, just get relying on his finesse. He's, he's throwing a fastball, you know, at like 98, 100 miles per hour. He has this great splitter that he throws to get people out that just has amazing movement. So not only is he doing it like really, really well, but he's doing it really fucking awesome ways. And so it's kind of fun to see. And there was a play the other night that I got to, to watch a highlight of where he was able to steal home on a double steal where a guy was stealing second and then he was stealing home from third. And the throw beat him, but he was able to make the tag around the catcher's arm with his arm as he was sliding into home. And he's also like in the top 10 in steals. So you had this guy just pretty much providing fun no matter what you want to enjoy out of baseball. So I just wanted to spend a couple minutes on that and check out the stats, check out the articles. I mean, if you Google Shohei Otani, greatest season ever, there's like pages of articles because that's how everybody has to talk about him right now. He's doing stuff that has never been seen, at least in the modern era. Well, and, you know, with players like him uh, that come into sports, because, I mean, you know, with this, it's baseball. There's there's athletes that come to different sports throughout uh, different generations where, they are so different and so uh, so game changing um, and and changing the culture, where we are so used as a society where everything's comparative, right? Like the only way that we can measure success is compared to others, and I think the tough thing for Shohei, and and, and it's not necessarily tough because he's at least getting recognition, but um, a lot of people will try to dismiss. Um, some of his stats or whatever, because they look at it, well, his batting average is only X amount of this, you know, compared to other players in his position. But the, but it doesn't equate, like you had mentioned, the fact that, you know, he's uh, top 10 in steals, the fact that he's able to throw a fastball that's able to go over 95 miles an hour, uh, you know, with like Andy Pettit-style uh, heat. And it's, it, it's nice to have that in baseball again. I know since you started bringing him up, I've tried to keep up with baseball a little bit more, though I will admit it's mainly just been uh, sticking to uh, keeping up with the brew crew as much as I can or as much as possible. Even though I said, and I got to eat a little bit of crow. All right. I'll fucking know. I eat a little bit of crow. I'd said that the brewers are going to fucking blow it in the second half of the season, but they've been holding up pretty goddamn well. So shout out to the crew. Don't speak too soon. Uh, Yeah, I know. I know. They blew blew the sweep today, but they've been playing really well. Um, so yeah, that's, I've been paying a lot of attention, obviously to the Brewers, but also just Shohei in general. And unfortunately the team that he plays on hasn't really taken the imperative to surround him with a lot of talent besides Mike Trout and a couple other guys. Uh, the rotation is pretty terrible. Their bullpen is pretty suspect. They don't really have a lot of depth. And there was a, there was a viral tweet. I, I wish I, I was trying to find the actual tweet itself, but it pretty much this guy summed it up pretty well, like saying, you know, Mike Trout went four for five with four home runs. And Shohei Otani did something that hasn't been done since Tungsten O'Neill on the 1918 A's, but the Angels got beat six to four. Like that yeah. pretty much sums up like how it's gone for them. And unfortunately, he's not going to be able to show off, you know, his value in the postseason. And I know it's it's kind of sad that probably the most interesting baseball player isn't going to be able to, to really show it off on a national stage when it counts. But hey, besides that, it's still an awesome season. You know what, man? That just means that he can go to the Milwaukee and he can, you know, hang out with the Greek freak and uh, they can get their fucking international swerve on, dude. See, and if they 
end up bringing the DH to the National League, that could be a possibility. But he chose specifically go, to go to the American League so that he could DH on his uh, like around his pitching schedule and shit like that. Yeah, but you know what though, I and, and the reason I bring that up, and I'm glad that you brought that up, is I I think it's time that baseball just makes a designated hitter something that is across the board. Well, okay. they did it last year in the short season, and I thought it worked out cool. Yeah. It worked out well. I thought it. I, I thought it was really nice. And there was there's a streamer that I know, and he had kind of talked about this. Uh, I, I think it was probably like a month or so ago. The fact I remember, it's kind of sad. Um, but yeah, I, I think ultimately you want to be able to have someone that can put butts in seats, and you want to be able to have some sort of icon. Um, and when you do that, not only does the culture of that team change, but the culture of the sport changes. And so I'm hoping that, you know, in time with the testing of the designated hit rule um, last season, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that all of that combined will be enough to nudge uh, baseball to go into that direction. And then ultimately, like I said, allow the Greek freak to use this finesse to be like, hey, dude, come play. <laughs> Milwaukee's a great city to play for. That would be pretty fucking dope. It'd be uh, fucking amazing. Before we move on, I did just want to say one last thing. When I mentioned that guy, Bullet Rogan, who played for uh, the Kansas City Monarchs in the Negro Leagues, uh, that, like I said, about the stats, like they made the the Negro League stats an official part of Major League Baseball. Like they're Mm -hmm. working on a project with the Negro League Museum and stuff like that. Like it is some really interesting stuff to look up. It kind of rewrites the the record books in a lot of different ways because you're finally getting representation from people who probably should have been playing. You know, these people should have been playing in the majors. Obviously, you have guys like Josh Gibson, Satchel Paige, uh, Bullet Rogan, who I mentioned. There's a lot of other names too. Uh, some of these guys, like Jackie Robinson, you know, ended up making it to the majors at some point. But a lot of these guys' careers were stuck in just the Negro League, so it's nice to see at least a little bit of recognition as far as what they were able to produce. But if you're interested at all, um, there's a lot of cool stuff out there, um, even on Baseball Reference, just gen- articles in general. So if that kind of thing interests you at all, I hope uh, you take a chance and check it out. And thanks for letting me get that little bit of plug-in. Yeah, without a doubt. And I know, Hirsch, uh, before we moved on to a, a couple of our main subjects, you had a little bit of uh, Twitch uh, news that you wanted to talk about a little bit. Yeah, I wanted to to make sure to first off um, extend a round of applause to everybody who decided to participate um, in the boycott slash protest of Twitch yesterday. Um, for those of you who may not have been aware of it or don't even necessarily know what Twitch is, uh, yesterday there was a protest going on. It was known as hashtag a day off Twitch. Um and basically, it was encompassing around uh, lately the amount of hate raids and the amount of doxing has uh, risen. Now, hate raids, uh, again, to break it down for those who maybe don't use Twitch, um, it's basically a way that people will have either bots or just a mass uh, community go into a uh, stream and spam racial slurs or different things uh, to not only get the streamer upset and to uh, to hurt other people that are in the chat, but also to get said streamer banned. Because uh, Twitch's policies are so uh, misconstrued and so... Um, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Disassembled. That 
it's basically the understanding if there is any um, any sort of TOS talk that is in your chat and it is not handled um, essentially by you that you are uh, said responsible for it. Now, well, really quickly, Hirsch, what mm-hmm. I wanted to ask is uh, two things I, I saw written about this is that it was happening a lot specifically to trans streamers, correct? Yeah, well, so it was there was mainly two different targets of uh, of these hate raids. It was uh, people of color, because basically Twitch has different tags that you can use to help expose yourself to different communities. Mm-hmm. And the two tags that were uh, specifically targeted were uh, like Black Lives Matter and then LGBTQ. Uh, those tags were the ones that were specifically targeted. And then part of what I saw what was happening is that even if your channel wasn't active, if you weren't streaming at the time, is that people could leave comments in inactive channels, maybe when mods weren't active or that kind of thing. And then you would still be held responsible once your channel went active and then they would report you. Was that part of what was happening, too? Um, That was part of a development that started coming out. I mean, that's something that's always kind of been there. But obviously, because I saw people warning each other, like, hey, set your set your chat to like active only when you're, you know, that kind of stuff. Like people were trying to at least take steps to to avoid it. Yeah. Well, and that's just because, unfortunately, um, Twitch has taken a uh, a stance where anything when it comes to regarding protecting their streamers, especially. Uh, smaller content creators um it's very reactionary and it's never coming from a place of saying okay how can we combat this to stop this from even um from even happening or or lessening the chance of it happening even at that level mm-hmm. and because of that lack of uh proactiveness and awareness um a lot of times what you see is these different trolls uh find loopholes and that is one of the loopholes that i that i was mentioning is you know going into offline chats and spamming uh different words that uh with with different characters too because the thing is twitch had offered um a bot which would basically uh filter a word so you could type in a word and it would blacklist that word from being able to be used in your stream but the workaround to that is that people would work around with different latin uh latin letters and fix them into the word so then that way the system would not recognize it and you would still be able to distinct what the word was but the computer system algorithm would not um with all that being said people had finally uh been able to organize and i and i say finally in the terms of uh not like oh my god it finally took them but in the understanding that it's very tough to consolidate and to get any form of organization especially on something like twitch where it's a very competitive market um but it was something that was able to be done thanks to the work of a lot of streamers and in a lot of cases a lot of small streamers who had um first gathered and kind of uh taken initiative to bring more uh, light to the situation um so i just want to bring up some of the numbers that uh that I had come across from reports that I had seen. And if anybody else has numbers that conflict these, please, by all means, make sure to send them. You can email me at two cents and some change at gmail.com. That's two cents and some change. Uh, the number two, the word sense and some change altogether, just how it sounds. Um, or you can get me, get at me on Twitter, but anyways, um, yesterday due to the, um, 
due to the boycott, there were there there was an overall dip in Twitch viewership and Twitch streaming. Now, just to proceed this just a little bit, beforehand, you had a lot of people that were on Twitter that were saying, oh, you know, this protest isn't going to accomplish anything. It's just a waste of time. Um, it's a clout move, et cetera, et cetera. Most common lines that you always hear whenever it comes to uh, trying to break up like any form of unionization or any form of protest, right? Like you're wasting your time, go do something that's actually accumulative, etc. cetera. Um, but because of these efforts, there was a drop, but there was also other things that were happening and I'm going to go into that. So one of the numbers that we have is that there is um, a 10 to 15% uh, decrease in viewership. And that was matched against the previous four weeks factoring in the GamesCon convention that had been streamed. Uh, a minus 8 to 13 de- uh, percentage decrease factoring in uh, Dr. Lupo and Tim the Tatman, who are two very large content creators on the platform. They made the announcement that they are that they were leaving Twitch and moving to YouTube. And then the back-to-school demographic with conservative estimates still showing a decrease of 7 to 12%. Um, overall, combining all these factors, you still see a 5.4 decrease in viewership. And that might seem like a very small number, but uh, 5% of the massive amount of numbers of people who watch Twitch on a daily basis is something that is definitely recognizable on top of the fact that you have two huge content creators that are leaving and most likely starting the chain reaction. Um, just so I can wrap this up to let Steve interject if he wants a few things. I just wanted to say again, um, to everybody who participated, um, hats off to you. It's, uh, very hard to do things and to stand up even for things that you believe in and that you find just, um, and to the people who supported it and maybe didn't even participate, um, don't feel guilty. There's a lot of people who might make you try to feel guilty about the situation, But I think the most important um, lesson to to take from all of this is to understand that when it comes to uh, unity and when it comes to overall a betterment for everyone, there has to be um, camaraderie in the form of understanding that it takes fights on all fronts. You need people that will do the boycotts. You need people that will be on the street. You need people that will completely abandon whatever platform or whatever job it is, employer, et cetera, uh, to make a statement. You need people that are um, passive. You need people that are aggressive and you need people that are pacifists and you need people that are violent. It's something that is uh, ultimately you should realize the allyship and like I had said, the camaraderie that comes with it. And that's just something... I want to make sure I iterate as a lesson um, from the hashtag a day off Twitch. No, I, I know um, I was aware of it and I'm not even on Twitch that often. So I think it was pretty successful as far as getting the word out. I know a lot of the content creators that I follow, at least on Twitch, there aren't that many, but nobody I, I saw, I, I checked in just to see who was active, you know, just kind of out of curiosity and, there wasn't anybody, I mean, it was just past content that was on everybody's channel that I was seeing as yeah. far as the people I follow on there. But that's, but that's for a reason because I, you know, I follow certain people. Yeah. I mean, I had seen a few people that were on and were streaming. Um, and again, I, 
I used to be the person that would get upset and be like, why the fuck are you doing that? Where's the, but like, again, um, well, and some people might have either not been aware or you know what, they have a certain streaming schedule that they have to stick to because of sponsorship stuff. You know, people might've had their hands tied other ways too. Yeah, exactly. And, and like I said, it's, it's important to understand the power of allyship and to understand how to have allies on many different fronts, fighting many different battles at once for a common goal. Um, the one thing I, I just want to end it with, at least besides the, uh, the overall uh, idea of the lesson to take from it, is what I'm interested in seeing is what's going to be coming next from, uh, from the day off Twitch. Because anytime that you're able to get that amount of uh, collectivization, um, I see it as a success. Uh, so with that success, I'm wondering what's next. And you know, what else can be done to make sure and to, uh, to kind of keep the, the poker on Twitch to, to make sure that, uh, content creators, whether big or small are being updated on tools that can help protect them. And, uh, as well as seeing Twitch take a more, um, proactive role when it comes to, uh, combating online hate. No, I, I think that's a great way of, Finishing up. You said it very well. All right. And now, since we got that off uh, out of the way, um, our next subject that we're going to be talking about is one that was suggested to us from a listener. Shout out to Lab. Oh, did um, we want to do the one more fun one really quick? Before? Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I don't mean to. No, I don't mean dude, to cut you I off. fucking. You're all good, dude. I completely, I completely blanked out for a bit. I thought we had, we had wrapped it all up. No, no, no. I, I was gonna say just really quickly. I, in relation to Twitch, um, a little bit of a brighter side is that one of the people I've been watching a little bit streaming lately is a guy named Julian Field from QAnon Anonymous, the podcast I've been talking about a couple times. And mm-hmm. I recently became a Patreon member, so I've been listening to a lot of their uh, former stuff that was released and like the premium kind of thing. And one of the things they talked about is this subject I just wanted to bring up kind of out of curiosity, just to Hirsch. And uh, I, I kind of presented it to him at the last minute. I would maybe, I, I, w- I would have felt better if Hirsch had a little bit more time to prepare for this, but I'm just going to kind of introduce it this way, Hirsch. So give me a second here, if you don't mind. If, if you and the, the great listener that we have going right now, if you can just imagine when you look at a mountain, just like when you see a cloud in the sky and it takes a shape that reminds you of something. If you're looking at a mountain and you see kind of like a, you know, sometimes it looks like a face, not Mount Rushmore or something like that, but you know, it kind of looks like a, it, it kind of reminds you of a face, right? Sometimes. And yeah, they call that matrixing, right? Yeah, it's kind of, it just reminds you like, oh man, that mountain you know, the way it ends, it kind of looks like, you know, like Steamboat Rock when we go up north, how it kind of looks like a steamboat, you know, but sometimes they have like a different shape and, and it maybe looks like a person or it looks like a, it could have been like an abstract view of a person. Now we know that's a giant rock. We know that's just, you know, weathering, uh, erosion, possibly glaciers in the past, you know, coming through and, and carving out these rocks. But imagine for just a moment, that those were fucking giants and what you're looking at 
or the fossilized remains of what were once these giants that roamed the earth and what science has been lying to you about all this time is that we know these giants roamed the earth and now we have proof. That's what the theory of a gentleman who runs an organization called Mud Fossil University believes. It's this guy, uh, Roger Spur. I'm sorry for the dumb little dramatic introduction there, but it's just, I had to show this to you, Hirsch, because it makes me fucking laugh. No, see, now when you had, when you had mentioned Mud Fossil, I immediately thought of your old gamer tag, uh, Bob Fossil. Yeah. So it's I immediately my gamer started, tag for, yeah. I, I immediately started chuckling because I was like, oh boy. And then I started looking in and I saw the first couple of YouTube videos pop up and I just, I, I couldn't even watch them. I was like, okay, before I watch these, I need to like figure out who the fuck this guy is. Um, Roger Spur, what a gentleman, what a gentleman. Now he's a character. The thing that I try to figure out, right. Is like this oh, dude. Really, really, yeah. Really quickly, just to define what I mean by mud fossil is this dude, Roger Spur that Hirsch is going to talk about. He believes that wet soft tissue from these giants fossilized into what we consider what are rocks now. So just so everybody's on the same page, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, this guy, Mr. Roger Spur, um, for somebody, he strikes me as someone that like, you know, you go to a party and you see that one dude just sitting in the fucking corner looking miserable. So the nice person in you is like, you know what, I'm going to go talk to them so they don't feel lonely. That's always a mistake. Yeah, that's when you know you fucked up. What's the old saying in the Bible? No good deed goes unpunished, right? That shit's true, okay? So you go over there, and he starts fucking talking to you about the fact that, like, caves are actually really just fossilized, petrified vaginas. And that every time you enter a cave, you're entering a fossilized vagina of a fallen giant of the past from biblical times yeah and like one of the things he uses as proof of, of that you know is he takes the bible literally and so he has this quote from genesis 6 4 there were giants in the earth those days and also after that when the sons of god came into the daughters of men and they bear children to them the same became mighty men which of, were of old men of renown and if anybody knows a little bit about biblical history, what he's talking about are the uh, Nephilim or the Nephilim, which were the um, descendants of the union between angels and humans. And they were believed to be um, giants in some way. And it's kind of weird because one of the things in Kabbalah in, in an aspect of Judaism that gets talked about with the Nephilim was there is one called Sephiroth. And that becomes like a weird inspiration for Final Fantasy VII, which is just a weird sidetrack. Sorry. Fucking Sephiroth, dude. The most badass villain in a video game ever. Yeah, but it comes from like Kabbalah and this understanding of like these different aspects having to do with the Nephilim and believing that giants did roam the earth and that what we see, like he has like <laughs> he has these videos, dude. If, if you ever have a chance, if anybody has a chance, check out Mud, Mud Fossil University on YouTube. Dude has these rocks that he's like, okay, this giant rock 
is the size of my hand. And it's actually just the, the fingerprint. It's a ridge and a fingerprint of a giant. And I have the hand in my backyard. And he claims to have sent these things along to DNA tests and to get CAT scans and that the DNA tests have proven that there's biology in the, and there's organic material in these rocks. But he always qualifies that with, you know, well, I was the one who took the samples. And basically what's happening is he's contaminating these stupid fucking rocks with his own biology and then sending it along to a DNA lab. And they're sending stuff back to him that's proving to him that there's organic material. And he'll take these rocks and he'll spray the solution that he says he made and he'll make the rocks bleed, quote unquote. And there's just some there's some wacky shit that people should take a look for themselves because it's just pretty funny. Well, one of the best things, right, because I had talked about the the cave vaginas. Um, it, it was like one of his like most prized uh, discoveries. Right. And, you know, I just want to put for the record, like. This guy does not strike me as the type who would know his way around a pussy. Like, I, I'm sorry. I'm just <laughs> out there. So the fact that he can try to say that, like, it's for sure a pussy is just really like, I, I don't know, kind of sussy, dude. Um, but the, the cave that he had mentioned is, or the vagina he had mentioned is actually a cave that's from Bulgaria. Okay. And like, there one of the YouTube videos you can find where I think it's called like Vagina Cave, literally. That, that's how fucking creative this guy is. Um, but it's it, it's a cave in Bulgaria. It's the Utrola Cave, and it was carved by uh, ancient Thracians over three thousand years ago. And it was basically a cave that was uh, part of uh, women's fertility rituals because it did have the resemblance of a vagina. Um, so much so that they even carved an altar where the uh, where the cervix would be. Um, so yeah, that that was like his prize discovery, and I just was easily dismissed by I don't know this troubling thing that seems to really hurt people when whenever it comes to the shit that he spouse. It's called history and facts. It's fucking nuts. No, and like he also believes that like there's giant dragons. And shit like that, which are in like mountain ranges. And it's one of those things where you kind of feel bad for making fun of this guy because he truly believes this shit, right? Like it's not some grift. He's not just out there like trying to make money off of people. Like he truly believes this stuff and he believes that he can add to science like in some weird way. But he's he's also like a biblical literalist, literalist and takes these like he doesn't believe evolution is real and he believes that his theories help prove that evolution isn't real. And, and on the fact that, you know, our modern science is just covering all this up and, it, and he always is obsessed with the Yale university always talking about, cause I think he lives near Yale and he's always like, you know, the, the scientists at Yale won't take me seriously. And there was a video that we were, that I was watching recently on the stream. This is to kind of tie it back to Twitch that you were talking about Hirsch as I was watching Julian Field stream. <clears throat> And he was going through some of the videos on Mud Fossil University to kind of break things up from like the usual crazy, like right wing QAnon stuff, you know. And as he was watching this video recently, there was an article about I don't know if you saw this, Hirsch, the chaplain at Harvard University is uh, the head chaplain is an atheist. And it has a lot of the it has a lot of the right wing, like, you know, flipping their lid. 
And he's like an atheist, hum- he's the athe- atheist humanist agnostic like chaplain. And all the other chaplains selected him to be the head chaplain, regardless of their religious orientation, because they just like the guy and they think that he does good stuff. And in this video, he was talking to an interview with the chaplain. He wasn't interviewing the chaplain. He was talking to the video saying, you know, I think this chaplain is open-minded and I could talk to him and explain to him that I have the true science. And you're basically watching this guy who has such a detachment from reality that he thinks he can conduct an interview with an interview video that he's watching and get his point across. And it was just kind of, it was funny, but it was also sad in a well, weird way. I tell you what, I look forward to voting against him for the next <laughs> next presidential election. Oh yeah, uh, whoever the Democrats decide to put up against him, I guess that's who I'm voting for. I uh, guess Biden again, right? But no, okay, uh, right? the the it is mainly harmless because you know the guy's not like you know preaching, you know taking up violence against people or anything like that. He doesn't have a body count like QAnon does, but. It does, I think, Hirsch, you brought up a good point when we were talking about this before. It does represent a a failure, I think, on behalf of the establishment to to get science taken in any kind of serious regard as far as how it gets taught or how it gets, um, you know, people brought into it the right way. Here's a guy who obviously is very interested in geology and all this kind of shit. He could have put this skill to, to good use, but he got failed somewhere. And it's not just a critique of, of him and, and this Mud Fossil University shit that we're kind of giggling at the same time, but it does show like a disconnect and a distrust of the elite that's like on a larger scale. I bet he got vaccinated, brother. No, I'm just kidding. I shouldn't even make that joke. Well, feel like and it, it's it. weird because I don't, he, I definitely think he's anti vax and shit like that. Like, well, he's I a think, religious zealot. So, like, he definitely yeah, would. Yeah, he was involved, I think, in some like weird religious healing shit with some people early on, if I remember right from the podcast episode they did about him. I may be confusing him with somebody else, but I think he's been involved in some weird, like, you know, medicinal, like, weird shit like that with, like, we're somebody was having seizures. We're going to take these penis stones and put them on your back, and they're going to the ep- feel real warm. Well, and the episode was before COVID and all that kind of stuff. So, like, I want to say that he was anti-vax even before all this kind of stuff going on. Like, he, he had, like, cures for autism and shit like that that he was trying to peddle. So, like, he is dangerous in a lot of different ways. Not necessarily with this mud fossil stuff, but in other other ways, definitely. Yeah. I, the, I, go ahead. You're fine. I'm sorry. No, I, I just – I was going to just reiterate that I, I do think it's just – I was going to reiterate. Sorry there. I kind of had a brain fart that, you know, mm-hmm. it is part of an overall – like distrust of, of anybody who's an expert, quote unquote, right? Like they're hiding it from us. They're hiding the truth. And it's this conspiratorial thinking. I think that's part of what's drawing me right now to that QAnon podcast and all the other stuff attached to it is not QAnon itself. You know, I don't believe QAnon, obviously it's a, it's a podcast debunking QAnon just so everybody knows for sure. But they also talk about a lot of stuff that's related to this kind of thinking. That's kind of not necessarily encouraged in America, but the United States has always been uh, a focal point for conspiratorial and like cult like thinking. Oh, for sure. That's why I always kind of like jokingly bring up terms like uh, like the deep state, you know what I mean? Because it's like uh, it's this idea or concept that, you know, there's like these deep shadowy figures. But like when it comes to America, like it doesn't have to be covert because like it's on our news. It, well, the- not only is it on our news, but like there is a deep state, but like it's not the thing that they think it is. You know, yeah. 
it, it, it is the CIA pulling like ops in foreign countries. It's the stuff we talked about in our Latin American episodes, you know, yeah. but they're, they're just, they're missing the fucking forest with the trees, you know? Yeah. I, I just want to go back for a quick second. Cause you had mentioned the fact that he was a biblical literalist. Um, I just want to check. I just want to do a drip check on that guy and make sure that he's not committing the sin by mixing two different fabrics, unless he's like a King James kind of dude. I don't know if he's like Old Testament or. Well, like he seems to be like uh, a new agey kind of Christian. Oh like, yeah, yeah. That's what it seemed like to me, anyway. So I don't know if he's necessarily a certain denomination. He's definitely on like the evangelical like uh, Pentecostal wing, I would say. Oh, dude, I was just going to say, so he's like a born-again Christian of the evangelical type. That's crazy. Like, I, I would say he's definitely on that wing of it. And, but, you know, check out that mud fossil shit. Like, there's a lot of other interesting stuff that's, like, kind of connected to mud fossil. Like, really quickly, dude, I saw, like, this tweet earlier. Apparently, there are these people, they believe in something called the mud flood hypothesis that, like, Years ago, there was this huge mud flood that like buried all of our big buildings and like overtook a lot of stuff. And it actually buried history. And like a lot of these dudes believe like, you know, the, there was the World's Fair in Chicago back in like the 1890s, that devil in the white city kind of stuff. And they mm -hmm. had all these fake buildings that they built, you know, to make it look like the Coliseum or make it look like Roman buildings. And kind of what's left over is Soldier Field and like the Field Museum and the stuff down there to make it look like Roman buildings. But a lot of it was just fake shit with like plaster and rock and like wood. And they took it down after the fair. And they did this in St. Louis at their fair and stuff like that too. They believe that was actually an ancient civilization that we took the evidence away from. And that there is this like trans-Siberian, trans-Central like, uh, Asian civilization that stretched to the americas and that like history like got buried by this mud flood and so like you can go down a weird rabbit hole and and just be careful if you do don't get pilled man can we just get like some of these motherfuckers to like take over george r, r. martin's goddamn writing for this last game of thrones book like because that's the one thing i'll say about these stupid motherfuckers do like they are creative like that's kind of the beauty of stupidity, isn't it? Like stupid can sometimes be so dumb that it's like beautiful. Oh no. And that's what's fun about this podcast is a lot of it's maddening. You know, a lot of it's talking about like, you know, the, the white nationalist, like anti-Semitic like roots of all these conspiracies and that kind of thing. But some of it's just stupid, interesting stuff that makes you laugh every now and then. No, and it's definitely needed because Ultimately, there's there's enough going on to 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 piss people off, not to stray too much off. I just want to quickly say, because like one one of the big examples I can think of is uh, this past weekend uh, in Portland, there was um, another uh, weekend of chaos where Proud Boys and other yeah, the Proud Boys were at the parking lot in the supermarket. Well, and and one of the key things is right, like the the two main organizers for that. I'm not going to say their names because I don't feel like getting sued. Um, yeah, I don't want to get doxxed. Yeah, that too. Um, but the two main organizers are real fucking shitty people, and there's video of them like literally talking about how since the Holocaust was a hoax that they should really commit it now just to like get people to shut up and like joking around about that. 
And, you know, nobody ever wants to talk about the fact that they literally organize these rallies to fuck people up in front of police buildings while the police, like, look the other way or help them. Uh, instead, you know, like, the media's covers fucking uh, Black Bloc uh, attacking a, a journalist, which, you know, I'm not excusing. It's fucking disgusting. No, even Glenn but, Greenwald was throwing a fit about that bullet. And then Matt Taibbi was throwing a bull- shit about, like, you know, the journalists got attacked, totally ignoring they never talk about what these fucking right-wingers are up to. It's totally disingenuous. Yeah, it's it's a bunch of bullshit. And ultimately, like, when people... When people focus on stupid bullshit like that, it's like, okay, so, like, maybe you're not a Nazi or a fucking, like, white nationalist, but, like, you support that shit and you're fucking disgusting. Um, but I just I, I just wanted to quickly bring that up because that was on my mind. But we can transition. No, if, you're, if you're anti-Antifa, you're pro-Nazi. Yeah, it's really that simple. Like, I, I, I don't know how many times I've had this argument and I've seen – um, other people who have leftist uh, thoughts have this argument, even people, you know, content creators, whether it be on YouTube or Twitch, but it's, it's this constant, like basic uh, counter to anybody who's like, Antifa needs to go. Okay. Well then fucking the police need to do their fucking jobs and stop letting all these crazy motherfuckers who want to play war, walk around streets with guns, beating up people and fucking yeah. up shit. And if you don't confront them, they show up in larger and larger numbers and they provide even more of a threat. Exactly. So like, you can uh, you can do your best and, you know, like you can disagree about tactics here and there. But like if you're the type of person who's going to always point to them before you point to what they're trying to prevent, then you're part of the problem, unfortunately, and you need to check yourself. Exactly. And that's coming from somebody that, like, again, I don't fucking condone what they did. Like, it's fucking disgusting. And whenever I see shit like that happen from, like, leftist organizations or just uh, whether it be, you know, socialists or even, you know, communist organizations in some instances, like, it just pisses me off because it's like, dude, you're falling right into the fucking narrative that uh, all these goddamn wannabe fucking war guys fantasize over like well they want you to do that shit in a quick defense though part of what the problem is is that reporters been known to try to out people basically who are part of antifa not that she's like part of a right-wing agenda but she sees it as her job to get these people fate these people's face on camera and unfortunately ends up getting used by the wrong people oh for sure when, when people are telling her you know i don't want you filming me get out of my space like people are then going to act because there's some serious shit especially going on in portland like i don't know if you saw there were shots fired like there was a dude on a street corner just shooting at motherfuckers oh yeah no i've I've been keeping i've been keeping up i I know i know you know i'm just making sure everybody else is aware too no for sure and it's it's important to remind people of that and the fact that it's still going on i just i i know for this specific instance from the multiple videos that i saw uh, the people that the journalist was recording, they all had masks on. They all had glasses and uh, goggles, um, as well as helmets and, and the complete blacked out uniform. Oh no, they they were they were doing what they were supposed to. But she she has been known from I may be I may be getting bad information, but she's been known to kind of go out of her way to try to get Antifa on film, to, and, that, and that ends up getting used by law enforcement and the right wing. Yeah. No, but ultimately, I like I said, it's just that 
that's something I just wanted to bring up because it's I, it's it's just been on my fucking mind and it just the the thing that's frustrating and I know we're supposed to be like doing a more relaxed episode but it's just frustrating because we always hear so much about like violence especially like when it's exposed to like being accredited to the left <coughs> but it's like dude I don't want to fucking hear that because literally every weekend a bunch of racist hillbillies drive from uh, drive out from the country and drive into a city. To cause chaos in a fucking city that they don't even live in. That's what the fucking craziest part about it is. It's like the majority of these motherfuckers that come in, they don't even live there. A bunch of Kyle Rittenhouses. You have a lot of people like for these anti-vaccine demonstrations who obviously are getting from place to place and don't have, you know, other stuff going on. They're getting financed by somebody too. Oh, yeah. Dude, maybe it's George Soros. Well, it, there's a version of Soros, you know, on the right. It's been called the Koch brothers for the a very Koch long time. And, and exactly. their whole their whole network, like it, it sounds conspiratorial, but like they've been doing this shit for almost 50 years now. Like they, they went out of their way to set up these systems that can now operate with Charlie Kirk and with uh, Turning Point USA, like all these well, uh, different aspects, whether they're all over the place. Well, dude, it's like not only do you have the Koch brothers, but you also have the Roger Stones and then you have the fucking uh, the Rupert Murdoch's and you have, you know what I mean? Like, it's just an endless cycle of fucking money that's just constantly being shoveled. Yeah. No, there's there's a reason why you see a lot of the same faces at this anti-vax stuff and why you end up seeing a lot of the same people at these white nationalist rallies. And there's a there's a lot of actual overlap between that kind of shit. Oh, and by the way, since since you had brought up the fucking the vaccination, shout out to everybody who's vaccinated or everybody who's at least gotten the first vaccine shot and plans on getting the second one. Shout out to you. And if you haven't gotten the vaccine yet or at least the first shot, you're a fucking idiot. Just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, you should get vaccinated. Get vaccinated or or like, you know, and this is something that, you know, Mask up. I, I, I've been saying for a while. I really hope that uh, vaccine passports and vaccine mandates become uh, a thing everywhere. Because I'm telling you right now, if it's fucking, if it's Christmas time, or if it's like even like you know what, like I, I I'm almost assuming that Christmas time is gonna be fucked again, just because you know we live in America and we're probably the dumbest fucking country in the world. Um, but if I have to spend another fucking summer having to worry about remembering my goddamn mask. I'm going to lose my shit, dude. Like, straight up. I'm going to lose my shit. So, like, if these fucking hogs don't want to fucking get their vaccine, you know what? Then you don't get to go to, you know, Chili's and get your fucking Texas Roadhouse burger, all right? You get to stay home. Yeah, and I, 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 I want to go. <clears throat> I, I know they're trying to do the mandates again. I know here in Illinois, that where we live at Hirsch, you know, just recently they put a mandate into effect again on Monday. We've been having to enforce a little bit where I work. We don't get a whole lot of pushback right now, but we have pushback from people I work with who don't want to do it. So I hear bitching about it constantly. Uh, it's frustrating. I, I don't think anybody really has the, the political will to end up doing a long-term mandate or to do it on any kind of serious level. So I think it's going to, unfortunately, like everything else in this world, it's going to end up being the private companies and the private insurance companies who end up making quote unquote, you know, like mandates for better lack of a word. 
I think you're going to start to see insurance companies say, hey, if you haven't gotten vaccinated, we're not going to cover your medical bills. We're going to start mm-hmm. to see companies say, hey, if you haven't gotten vaccinated, you can't work here. We're already starting to see that actually with different uh, like sports stuff, funnily enough. Um, if you want to work here, you have to be vaccinated or else you have to, you're going to get treated differently. Like the pressure is going to come, I think, from the private sector, because that's really the only place that like our current uh, political system allows for any activity. Well, I mean, that's where all the power is. Like That's where all the power is. Well, not only that, but like even the power, like the people who have power on a political scale here, they either don't care about what's going on or they're too scared to use it because they think they'll get told that they're going too far. Yeah. I just I don't know. I'm I'm fucking I'm so tired of being on lockdown, man. And I'm not picking on my Australian friends. I fucking love you. I know you guys are going through a lockdown and shit. But like I've been hearing Australian people complain about like being on lockdown. And it's like, dude, you motherfuckers have been able to like be mask free for the past year or so. Like I don't want to fucking hear it, dude. Like we've been on lockdown for like almost two years. I don't want to fucking hear it. I don't. You can well, you can do it with a couple months. God damn our it. lockdown's been a little bit different. We haven't really had a true lockdown. We always had soft lockdowns, and we've never really had our lockdowns enforced like it has been in a lot of countries. Yeah, I know. So, uh, that's, so it is, that's just it is the American. That's just the American exceptionalism in me well, that just came out. If if we had been locked down like we should have been, it might have been able to be at least contained differently. But I mean, if and buts were candies and nuts, right? Yeah, we'd all have a merry fucking Christmas, dude. I love using that line. Um, but, but yeah. before we get locked on this any further, um, one last bit of uh, some fun news. I think we we're gonna, or, or wait, no, we're gonna save that for later. We'll jump into uh, the brain, right? Is that what we're gonna? Yeah, go let's with? go ahead and jump into the user, uh, the listener suggested. The brain, yeah. Shout out to uh, Lab for suggesting this topic. It was something. Right from the jump, when he sent me the article, I saw the headline. I was like, "Ooh, this is fucking cool!" Um, like, uh, did they did 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 he send anything else in the message about like what he thought was interesting or what he like what caught his attention with it? Um, he had sent something, but I can't remember what it is off the top of my head because it oh, was. Oh come on, you gotta have was, that, dude! I know I fucking space man. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you, dude. It was like, dude, it was literally a couple days before my wedding that he sent it to me, and I was just like, I, my fucking brain's been melted. But anyways, to set this up, the the things that we used to dream about and we used to see in movies, uh, you know, uh, the creation of man, the creation of organs in a lab, it was something that was seemed far fetched and seemed sci fi, and most of the time you would get the skepticism of, you know. Let's not make a fucking brain in a lab because, like, what if it, like, gets some sort of psychic power or telekinetic power and starts killing people, right? Uh, God, that sounds like a shitty-ass horror, 80s horror movie that was made. Probably well, there, was. There were, there were a couple of them. There was The Man with Two Brains with Steve Martin uh, <laughs> that was kind of making fun of, like, different stuff from the 50s and 60s where they had, like, floating brains that would always be around and shit like that. Or you got, <laughs> yeah. like, Fut- you know, Futurama that had it, like. Yeah. So it's definitely um, out there. No, for sure. But uh, with all that, for recently, no reason, for no reason, plot holes and spelling errors. Um, but no, recently uh, there have been some laboratories that have been uh, messing around with these things that have been known as um, optic cups, and it's been a it's been a technology that's been researched for quite some time now. 
basically it's being used to try to understand uh, different coronary effects and different uh, diseases that affect the eye. And while they were growing this, scientists started speculating and started trying to uh, figure out a way that they could not just grow uh, what's referred to as optic cups, which are basically replicas of the human eye. Well, they're like precursors to like what becomes the retina. Yeah. And so so like, it, it's a precursor to what becomes the eye. It's like a really, it's a primitive version of the eye. It's one of the earliest uh, forms that develops, you know? Yes. You can basically think of it as uh, embryonic status. Um, yeah. For, for a lot of these uh, uh, organoids that we're going to be talking about. Yeah. And what they're now, working with her, she brought up that keyword is organoids. Like uh, organoids are these like small three-dimensional tissue cultures where you can like re you can create organs essentially they're not they're not like uh living brains or anything they don't have consciousness it's not like a mini brain like in what we think of but it's a way to replicate like rudimentary organs and you can you can kind of grow them and, and affect them in different ways with stem cells that have been taken from adult stem cells and made into embryonic cells instead of using you know the controversial embryonic stem cells we always heard about and they're called uh human induced pluripotent stem cells so i just wanted to get that you know science shit out of the way yeah because i'm telling you right now i'm fucking stupid man that's why i listen to scientists when they tell me shit because it's like you know what you went to school for that i didn't i barely even studied in my chemistry class um <laughs> shout out to mr sinkowich uh so the the basic idea and the basic concept of the study was to figure out if they would be able to take the stem cells and uh, take them from a reverse engineer concept, right? So, like, you can basically think of uh, the adult stem cells as being software version 2.0. And they were trying to downgrade it and, and move backwards and move uh, – towards the towards the original status so to to get towards a stem cell it's like backwards compatibility right you're trying to run like a current piece of software and make it into like an older version of what used to exist before it in a more primitive way and in previous studies they were able to make these retinal cells and optic cups but they would grow them separate from these brain structures that they're trying to grow and so this new um, study that they were able to do. They basically took a new technique to turn these stem cells into not only neural tissue to create like these brain organoids, but also to develop the, the optic cups that Hirsch has been bringing up. And that's why I wanted to bring them up because that was the main, uh, main goal is to see if they would be able to grow brain-like structures, these brain organoids, if you will. And if they would be able to develop optic cups themselves. They started developing this technology. They started doing the research. And within uh, several days, they started noticing growth uh, of these of these brain organoids. Um, and within several days after the full growth, optic cups started growing on their own within these uh, brain organoids. And the reason yeah, I believe, why... I believe it was uh, after the cells developed into the mini brains, it was 30 days later, and then they fully matured at 50 days. And it was Correct. basically yeah, the same. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, the structures would become clearly visible after 50 days. Um, yeah. And it, was, it was basically the development that happens when a human embryo is growing eyes for the first time in utero. 
And so it's analogous to like what happens when an early embryo is starting to develop uh, its own eyes. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, Hirsch, I think one of the interesting aspects of what people were talking about is it can be used to not only create these organoids, but maybe to study how eyes are made and how eyes can maybe be affected by a different disease when you're not having to test on a living subject. And so a lot of the morality that we normally associate with these kind of issues is kind of uh, looked at in a different way, right? Well, I mean, there's always the complaint of, you know, especially whenever stem cell research is applied, of, you know, what, at, at what cost, right? And not yeah. just that, but you also have, uh, whether it be religious counters or just uh, people's uh, moral counters, which is, you know, we shouldn't play God. We shouldn't be uh, the ones picking and choosing um, and, and messing with different organs, whether you're somebody who's uh, religious or, or overall agnostic. Absolutely. And there, there's definitely those morality concerns. But luckily, with the way they're using these different stem cells is these are actually adult human cells that they're making and converting into an embryonic like state. So they're taking from like blood or skin samples. It's not like, you know, they're, they're destroying an embryo to collect these, uh, these stem cells, at least in that difference to what the old controversy used to be. Correct. Um, it does still have the controversy of, you know, should people be doing this kind of stuff at all? Like what about the negative aspects of this technology? Um, I, I think it's all about how you use it, right? You can you can develop these organoids to like possibly develop ways for people to have certain treatments tested on their physiology, on their genetic makeup. You can see how their eyes or, or their whatever you can create would respond to a certain kind of treatment instead of having to give them a treatment that might affect them negatively. Um, you have a lot of, uh, you know, what they call like, you know, cognitive retinal disorder stuff that gets passed along where we might be able to treat this kind of stuff in the future based on, you know, the development that this research was, uh, was coming up with. Well, and the, and the key thing to note here too, is that these optic cups didn't just necessarily grow on these brain organoids. They would grow and they would be connected to the tissue replicating mm -hmm. the structures that would be taking place during the birth process. Right. And like you had mentioned, I think the the most shocking thing was the fact that um, they had they had 314 different brain organoids that they had grown. Out of that, 73% had developed these optic cups. And out of those 73%, there were multiple different types of retinal cells that were replicated. And so, like my brother had mentioned, it's very monumental in the fact that you would be able to specifically give medicines or give treatments to people with certain eye types, which is something that, again, 15 years ago would have seemed like uh, like it was out of a sci-fi movie or out of Star Trek or something. Absolutely. And it, you, you bring up a way to possibly treat something that might come up and to maybe get it so that, it, uh, you know, when you make these organoids, you can personalize it to a person. Oh, sorry, that's a terrible way of phrasing it. You can personalize it Obviously, it's going to be to a person if it's personalized. That was dumb. Um, when you personalize it, you can make it more effective. That's all people are usually trying to figure out, right, when they do these different types of treatment. 
doctors are trying different kinds of things to see how your body responds to it based on how it affects other people. When you can know how it affects you personally, you can get a lot of different treatment. Um, part of what we are going to bring up in addition to that fantastic topic, I, who was it that had uh, suggested that one, Hirsch? Uh, my, my buddy Lab. Oh, I appreciate that, Lab. It was a great topic. And I, it was stuff I had never even heard about that I thought was pretty fucking interesting and brought up a lot of good questions about the possible morality of, of whether this stuff should be happening. And I think something that has a lot more, or not more, but uh, a lot of other more implications, Hirsch, is something you had brought up too, which is what's called CRISPR technology. Yes. The very complicated and very beautiful technology that is known as CRISPR. Yeah, we won't get too much into like the specific like science behind it and what's happening, but essentially it's a way to like uh, CRISPR, first of all, stands for clustered, regularly interspaced, short palindromic repeats. That's why they call it CRISPR because fuck saying that every time. Um, yeah. It basically refers to this family of certain DNA sequences that are found in different genomes. Um, usually this technology is worked on in like bacteria and what are called archaea and that kind of stuff. <clears throat> but the way they're finding these, these CRISPR DNA sequences, they're able to pop, probably, you know, put that technology into other aspects of gene editing. And what you can do is you can rewrite a gene to come out with a different outcome than what it was probably going to do, quote unquote, naturally. And it does have different applications, whether it's in these different bacteria to create bacteria that can like eat oil off the surface of an ocean that might help with oil spills. Um, I, I saw an article that was talking about changing the vision of mosquitoes to not see humans very easily. And so you might not have malaria and other diseases spread as easily because of mosquitoes and that kind of thing. Yeah. But and I mean, there's a, yeah. And, and I was just going to say another quick um, a shout out to, to CRISPR, shout out to CRISPR. Um, just as of uh, yesterday, there was an advance. Um, they had been testing CRISPR technology use in space, and they had found that using CRISPR technology that uh, cells were able to regenerate on their own, even in space. So, I mean, the amplifications and uh, the, the hopes that come with the study of this technology are tenfold. And, I mean, there's been stuff, you know, like I said about the mosquitoes getting affected, not only are you changing genetics in these smaller organisms, but they're starting to be able to use these treatments in humans. Uh, there's a woman who was treated with sickle cell. There's been HIV treatments. Um, there's people who've had like eye, eye stuff that was affecting them get treated. There's kind of theories about maybe in the future that there might be a way to like bring back extinct species of animals, kind of like, you know, uh, Jurassic Park style by this gene splicing technology, which kind of works in a weird way, similar to what they talked about in the Jurassic Park stuff, right? Where they replaced um, aspects of DNA with, with something else. You can get it to just change and, and create something different from what it might've originally. Well, and the key thing is too, because I, I remember back in the nineties, there was a, um, there was a first clone and it was a sheep right? It was a sheep or a goat. And I remember that, you know, obviously that goat or sheep, whatever the fuck it was, it didn't live too long. 
Um, but I just remember being imp- having an impression, even at a young age during the 90s, seeing that on the news. Um, and, and the key process to that was having uh, a live or a frozen uh, cell, which, you know, whether it be tissue, uh, a cluster of hair fiber with tissue in it, et cetera, saliva. Um, instead of needing that, now with the CRISPR, the only thing that they would need is some sort of remnant of DNA structure from something even um, even as like a bone. They would be able to take it. And as my brother had mentioned, um, it's it's taking that DNA sequence and uh, slicing RNA and then placing it into an embryo of its closest living relative. My brother had mentioned um, bringing back uh, animals. They they refer to the term as de-extinction. And one of the reasons I wanted to bring up the subject in particular was because of uh, in a video I had seen a long time ago that was talking about um, CRISPR being used to possibly bring back the woolly mammoth. Now, for those who paid attention um, in school, the woolly mammoth was a big ass elephant that was covered in fur. Um, also used to carry Fred Flintstone around down at the quarry every single day when you get ready to come back home to Wilma. Um, and and with with the woolly mammoths, the reason that they are being sought after uh, to be brought back is in the Siberian steppe. Um, before you had large animals like the mammoths and other large herbivores that would come along and they would graze and they would uh, stampede and kind of uh, keep up this um, grassy cap that would insulate the permafrost, right? That would be part of this uh, Siberian tundra. And obviously when they went extinct, the grazing stopped, um, certain plants, certain wildlife came in that would uh, chip away at that cap that was that was there kind of ensuring the entrapment of uh, an alarming rate of greenhouse gases that have been trapped underneath there. And a few uh, Russian scientists who have set up basically like a sanctuary in um in Eastern Siberia are trying to work together to start up and reinitiate the, the mammoth population in that area, because in their minds, if they are able to get these, uh, these mammoths back into the ecosystem, they will be able to ensure that vegetation um, that is native to the area will grow to ensure that the, uh, the grass caps, as well as some of the uh, trees and foliage that provide uh, cooler temperatures in the soil to stay there. No, it's really interesting science that people are going to possibly be able to explore with this. They're also using CRISPR technology to like uh, explore different viruses, different bacteria, um, stuff like COVID, hopefully to detect it, maybe even make it deactivate and not be as effective against people. But I think one of the ways it's kind of scary, Hirsch, is like the way to think of CRISPR is it's like um, it's this enzyme that these different bacteria produce when they want to get rid of bad viruses or bad parts of DNA. And the CRISPR uh, enzyme, the CAS9, cuts apart the DNA and the bacteria sends it out and it it chops up the DNA and, and scientists were basically able to figure out like a way to use that. And the fear 
is that what do you consider bad DNA? What do you consider um, a bad virus? Do you, do you start changing people's eye color when you find out that your child, you know, they approved human gene editing uh, a couple years back about the, with this kind of stuff. So you have people getting worked on for, you know, debilitating diseases that might affect them. But the question becomes, what might it get used for in the future? Will you be able to change whether your kid has curly hair or, or straight hair, whether they have, uh, whether it's a girl or a boy, if you care about gender in that way, whether, uh, you know, not gender in that way, but whether you care about like what they're born with and whether you, you don't think that, you know, they can choose for themselves, you want to choose for them. Um, well, even even more complicated than just those factors, but then you also start having uh, conversations about, you know, if a, if a doctor tells uh, expecting parents that your child will be born with something such as uh, Down syndrome or cerebral palsy, mm-hmm. um, people would then genetic, genetically modify that. And that starts an argument of, you know, do people with these diseases even deserve life, right? Uh, well, does it become like scientific, does it become a scientific eugenics, you know, like or more like yeah. future form of eugenics, I mean. Well, and, and you know, and the other thing, too, that, that's part of the cons when it comes to uh, this genetic splicing, basically, a, a, a layman's way of putting it, is um, remove the human aspect from it for a moment, right? Which is scary enough. But just factor in uh, things such as plant life or, or even animals. Um, one of the main concerns would be, obviously, um, if you reintroduce an animal that's been extinct in the wild, you don't know how it's going to react to the animals in that uh, ecosystem that are there, whether it be predator or prey. Um, it's human interactions as well as its uh, transmissible uh, capabilities for diseases, something that we, because of COVID, are much more aware of now. Um, and most importantly too, like a lot of their food sources and shit like that are extinct too. So where essentially are they going to, uh, be able to sustain life? Um, and I think one of the nightmare scenarios, right. Is like any kind of way that you can weaponize something like this. And I think one of the ways that would be possible is if in theory you send out the enzyme to cut apart the DNA, you know, the quote unquote bad DNA, what if you were able to program that enzyme and that bacteria to attack good DNA. What if you could introduce into a, into a a population, basically cancer that you can weaponize because all it would do was it would split apart good DNA and remake it into bad. If you wanted to reverse the situation and, and go in a weaponized version of it. And so it's always going to be about how is it regulated? How is it used? Who's able to get a hold of it for what purpose? So it does have good application, which is why I wanted to start with the good applications, but also warn people, you know, like there, there is some dirty possibility when it comes to this kind of thing. For sure. And I mean, you know, the, the one thing that I, that I wanted to talk about, I'm glad I was able to, um, with the moly mammoth situation, the, the counter to it that I thought about is, um, you know, even even though obviously uh, in the Siberian tundra it is still um, very cold, right? But is it the exact climate, and is it the continued insured climate for a woolly mammoth to survive? Um, air toxicity, you know, who's to say that all this money gets spent and all of this time and research gets spent 
And, you know, the mammoth takes two steps out onto the fucking tundra and dies. Um, I don't know. I think, I think CRISPR is kind of um, a poisoned well, if you will. I think the poison's at the very bottom. As long as we don't get too greedy and try to drink it all, I think we'll be okay. Uh, but I, I, the the thing that scared me the most is, you know, when you look up CRISPR, there's going to be a time where you come across an article that talks about uh, a Chinese scientist who had came out, I think it was a couple years ago, basically making the claim that he could do uh, build a baby workshop is the best way of putting it. It's kind of fucked up to say it that way, but like build a baby workshop is the best way I could think of. Okay. Give me a fucking break. Um, but he had come out and said that he had found ways using CRISPR technology to basically ensure any parent that you would get to choose what your child looks like. Do you want your child to look more like the mother, the father, a mixture do you want their eyes to be blue? Do you want them to be green? Do you want one to be one color, one to be another? What traits do you want them to have? These were all things. And that's the thing about CRISPR that's really interesting is that not only is it able to replicate the look, the sound, but it's also able to replicate the um, the mannerisms and the levels of aggression. And that, to me, is what is the most scary is the fact that they're able to take this DNA, bad DNA or not, inject it into this the DNA in a cell of another living organism, and it's still able to have that genetic instinct, that genetic memory of how to act. It, it's just, it, to me, it's baffling. But it's never ensured whether or not they'll, they'll always act that way either. Because, you know... Uh, there, there's a reason why they have tests and why there's only a 99% guarantee on almost everything because you can never guarantee 100% success. No, and it's one of those things like you were saying, Hirsch, like if it does end up using, getting used in that way, you pretty much are going to have all the, all the randomness of a possible individual get thrown out the window. You're going to have not only the parent's project what they want onto the child but there's going to be expectations when that once that child is born like we we basically programmed you to come out perfect why aren't you perfect and like can you imagine the kind of terror that would be put upon a child like that the expectation like to make them a genius or whatever you want to call it yeah parents are already crazy enough i don't think they need any more fuel for the fire No, it, it it's it's pretty it pretty scary overall, but like we were saying, you know, it's going to be up to how it's used. You hope that there's going to be regulation that it doesn't get you know weaponized for whatever reason. But I think that was a great segue from you know the 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 article about the the lab grown brains and kind of just showing again, it's always a an aspect of science fiction. I think Gattaca was a great movie that talked about, you know, genetic modification and all that kind of stuff. And sci-fi has always been kind of interested in this kind of thing, even before it became a, a technological possibility in our current era. So it's just one of those warnings that, that always kind of reverberates and it is interesting to look at. 
But I think uh, as we get towards the end here, we did have one more subject Hershey wanted to bring up. Let's see. Um, I don't know. Did you want to do the introduction or did you want me to? Well, yeah, I was just going to really quickly, if anybody paid attention to, to football Twitter over the weekend or even just ESPN or just sports in general, you probably heard a little bit about something where I know a sports segment again. You guys can go to the end if you don't want to listen, but this one's actually pretty interesting outside of sports if you do want to stick around. There's a school called Bishop Sycamore. Um, I believe they're from Columbus, Ohio, theoretically. Yeah, theoretically we'll is the important part there. Yeah, we'll look more into that in a moment here. But they are playing on ESPN. These high school kids are playing a nationally televised game against another school called the IMG Academy, who are based in Florida. You may ask yourself, why is a school, high school in Ohio playing a high school in Florida? Why the fuck is it on ESPN? Basically, it's this, this program they had going on to celebrate high school football. They had the, basically these, a lot of the best American teams playing against each other. Once the game was on TV, you happened to notice that there was quite a disparity in talent between IMG Academy and Bishop Sycamore. I think the game ended up being Hershey was either 56 or 59 to nothing. Yeah, yeah, uh, 59 to nothing, I believe. Yeah, and there was a lot of injuries that Bishop Sycamore was, was experiencing. I know their starting quarterback got injured pretty quickly. They couldn't protect him to save his life. It was they apparent had a, enough. They yeah, had a ahead. defensive lineman that was like five foot 10, 200 pounds at most. Yeah, it was obvious these guys were just outclassed. And the announcers for ESPN kind of led into them. They were like, hey, we were told these guys had a lot of Division I recruits. These guys were supposed to be, you know, uh, going to a big school at some point. We thought there was going to be a lot more of a competitive uh, game going on here. It's actually kind of dangerous for IMG to be able to uh, run around with these guys who really don't belong in the same field with them. Somebody's going to get hurt in a really bad way. And it really was an embarrassment for ESPN and also the group because ESPN didn't schedule that game. They worked with another company who schedules those games for them or some shit like that. But it was still embarrassing for them, right? Because they're the ones who like put it on their screen or on their network, I mean. Well, they didn't do the due diligence. And the thing is, ESPN kind of gets off. Well, they didn't really get off because people are ripping into them. But Overall, they they kind of get to shy away from overall responsibility because you had mentioned it was a marketing group that was responsible. Now, the name of the marketing group responsible for scheduling and handling what was known as the Guy Cool High School, American High School Football Showdown or kickoff, rather. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was a marketing group known as Paragon, the Paragon Marketing Group, and they were the Thank ones you. that were responsible for uh, finding and providing uh, all the matches that were taking place on ESPN. And it's a group that ESPN has worked with for, for some time. Yeah. And they, they pretty much, they, they look at these different rosters, supposedly they, they talk to these different coaches, try to schedule games that are going to show showcase the best talent. I think it's personally kind of gross to watch high school kids on national TV and be that obsessed with recruiting, but to each their own. What really became apparent, though, in the aftermath was Bishop Sycamore is basically a fraud. They aren't a true school. They're not even what you would call just a football school. 
they aren't even good at football. I think in the last three seasons, they haven't won a game. They've been outscored like 250 to like 50 or something like that. Um, the actual outscore number is 342 to 49. Yeah, I, I knew it was like something to 50. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's pretty bad. But they're part of what kind of operates in the United States as what's known as a prep school or a prep year school. Where if you graduate high school or if even if you have a year left eligibility and you aren't going to graduate in time or graduate with the grades to qualify for an NCAA scholarship, this is a place you can go to and kind of have an opportunity to, to, to get your grades better, but also showcase your talent and hopefully go on to a division one school, get a scholarship. It's like, it's like last chance you but for high school. Yeah. And a lot of these guys, there was a 2007 investigation by the NCAA. They called them diploma mills. They were basically either schools that you really didn't get much education. They were basically just known for their sports or you got no education. They would, they would eventually change academic eligibility and make it harder to use like online only or homeschool style curriculums instead of high school credits, but there's still ways around it. And ING themselves, uh, who's actually based in Florida, um, they're owned by the sports and entertainment company IMG, who has like agents and that kind of thing, who like, you know, they manage different uh, athletes, they manage different actors. It's no surprise that the people who end up going to these, this academy end up signing with IMG as their agents once they're able and that kind of thing. Uh, they have different programs for tennis, for football, for soccer, for baseball, for basketball. It's considered a private boarding school, but these guys are there to play a sport. These guys and gals, excuse me, are, 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 and other people are, are like there to play a sport, and that's really about it. Bishop Sycamore, though, unfortunately, doesn't even play football well, so they're kind of getting called out differently here, and we wanted to go in a little bit about how fucked up this, this whole situation is. And I think part of what stands out is that, like we had talked about it with it being kind of a second chance you, is like a lot of these guys are 19 and 20 in some cases, and, and coaches were calling out the fact that, you know, you had more than grown men playing against what they had on their teams were 16 and 17 year olds. And I actually was able to find an interview with one of the guys who says he's the first ever player recruited by Bishop Sycamore. Um, he, I think his last name was Bo Aaron Boyd. And he's basically been talking about how Bishop Sycamore lied to him and lied to his family about what was going on. He played there in 2018, 2019. He was 15 or 16. He said like he had these grown dudes who were from like really bad neighborhoods in New York. They all got thrown into housing together. And some of these guys were really young and they were either getting intimidated. He was saying people almost got stabbed and that kind of thing. And so they're not always Juco kids, but they're pretty darn close in age. And they're a lot older than like your normal high schooler. And, and most yeah, importantly, I was just going to say, most importantly, right, like anybody who is uh, familiar with sports, whether it's just an observer or somebody who's been involved in sports, um, 
it's basically what we're describing for for these uh, football program uh, base schools. Uh, you can basically think of it as AAU with the guys of you know we're giving them an education. Um, and a lot of these, uh, uh, it, and I'll call them kids because I mean really, uh, most people don't start don't. You yeah, know. if you're if you're 15 or 16, you're a kid. Yeah, and I mean, even if you're fucking like 18 or 19, I'm sorry, you're a fucking kid. Like, you're still young. You're you still have maturing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and a lot of them came from from different areas. They didn't really know each other. And I think anybody can at least empathize with the idea of how intimidating and how scary of a prospect it is to have to share a room with a bunch of guys or a bunch of girls in whatever case that you don't even know. And in a lot of cases are pretty fucking shady trying to steal your shit. Well, and like, we'll get into it more about how shady Bishop Sycamore was as far as like, not only being a fake school, but like not even take taking care of their athletes. Um, these kids were put into housing a lot of the time, whether it was in a hotel or an apartment where the bills just didn't get paid. They would get put on the street. All their possessions would get left behind. Uh, the one guy I talked about was talking about, when they were put into a place, they had no food. They would have to steal from the grocery store down the street in order to make sure they had food, like on a regular basis. Um, they their address that they used is like actually the address for like an like a gym, and they claim that they use the facilities there to like teach school and to work out and all that kind of thing. But they come there like maybe once a month. They don't have uni- away uniforms. Like it came out that they had played a game on Friday before they played that game on Sunday against IMG, they had played a game, I think in Pennsylvania and they wore black uniforms, which were the same as the home team because they didn't have white uniforms. So they're not, they don't even have enough helmets for everybody. And they only have like 30 or 35 players. A lot of these guys are playing both uh, defense and offense. That's insane. Yeah, dude, it's fucking, they, they put out like a GoFundMe or like the equivalent to like try to get equipment. And they raised like 200 bucks. Like, you know, it, it's pretty sad. And it, it's pretty obvious that the, the person who set this up, like the coach, uh, God, what's his fucking name here? Uh, Roy Johnson, him and a couple of the other people who ended up starting this school, supposedly in Columbus, Ohio, they've done this kind of thing before. I believe they had another school that was basically disbarred by the Ohio, like high school association because they were, they weren't a, really a school. They didn't even have a credit system or anything like that. They weren't turning in the paperwork that needs to be turned in. I know the Ohio governor has talked about a new investigation they're going to be trying to do that's going to hopefully add a little bit more to the story. Well, the thing is, with with Bishop Sycamore, they're not even listed in the Ohio Department of Education um, uh, list. They're not listed as a charter school, and they're listed as a uh, non-tax-supported school. They're they're listed as like what you would consider like a private school. You know, like they don't take taxpayer uh, support. Like it, it's a religious school, quote unquote. Yeah, and so and with all that, my brother had mentioned the the address that they had given for the school was basically um, an indoor sports facility, uh, indoor complex. It's known as the Resolute Athletic Complex. Um, according to reports that I saw, maybe it's wrong. So if I am, correct me at www.gofuckyourself.net. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> now, one of the one of the officials who decided to remain anonymous in fear of losing his job or possibly even getting sued, uh, 
had contacted uh, several news sources and had mentioned the fact that during, and he had mentioned specifically the Columbus Dispatch, um, a, a football team size uh, group of about 30 or so kids would come to work out in the complex about once a month. And he noted specifically that there was never any school class, uh, any school classes held on site, nor did he ever see any desks or chairs set up to be part of a, quote, educational environment. No, they're basically, they're taking these kids' money, telling them and their parents, you know, not these kids' money, taking these kids' parents' money, telling them they're going to be playing against, you know, the best talent in the country because they have like the fourth hardest schedule like according to some ranking that i saw like they're actually they're playing legit fucking high school teams like not legit as in like they take they're like good schools but legit football teams and they didn't even have enough guys to you know to field two full teams you know it's just they're not prepared and <laughs> and it's it's hopefully going to get shut down as a total here because like you have guys who are like nowhere near high school age in some cases, like you were saying, Hirsch, I know like you, you saw the number maybe as high as like late twenties for one or two of these guys. Right. Like the, the coach apparently has a, an arrest warrant that was out about fraud charges. Like I had said, like the guy who started the school had gotten in trouble for not paying bills before for basically scamming people. Not only in Ohio before this instance, but he also, is being ordered to attend court for failing to pay back a $100,000 loan from First Merchant Bank in, uh, I believe it's Maine. Allegedly, just so I don't get sued. Allegedly. Yeah. No. It... Oh, and he also has an arrest warrant for domestic violence. Yeah, that, that usually goes hand in hand with a fraudster anyway. Yeah. But, so, yeah. Just, just to like recap, though, just so like people understand, right? Two two fraudulent teams from basically the same state because let's all fucking admit Ohio is the Florida of the Midwest. Okay, so you had Ohio and Florida facing off. You know, twin twins fighting each other. Romulus and Remus over here. Um, you have that. You have a complete embarrassment for. And honestly, I feel for the fucking kids of of Bishop Sycamore. I don't even want to say Bishop Sycamore because it's not even fucking real, but. To the to the athletes who who played uh, on that team, I feel for them because they were embarrassed on national television and all of the stuff that obviously went on in the background. Um, you know, so it's not a real school. Neither of them are necessarily real schools in the way that we think of schooling. Um, the coaching staff for one of them have multiple arrest warrants, and not only that, they violated national high school rules by playing two games within three days on top of the fact that we had mentioned that there's only 30 players on that team. So you got guys that are literally playing offense and defense. Like, I don't know about anybody listening, but I I start huffing and puffing when I have to go up a couple flights of stairs. And that's just for like a couple minutes. These motherfuckers are playing a full football game, running full speed, full strength. That's a lot. Well, they're not taking care of these guys in between. They're not getting the rest that they need. They're not getting the nutrition that they need. They're playing multiple games within three days. Of course, you're going to have injuries. They're lucky somebody didn't die out there. That's what I'm saying. They should have stopped the game. Like, it became apparent, like, 
that should have just not been on TV well, in the first place. The thing was, man, like I, it was, what was it? I think it was like around half. To, no, no, no. It was the second quarter. They were down 30 to nothing. Yeah, I think you're looking at the same clip I am right now. 704 in the second. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, 30 and and the fact that look, if you make the claim that you have division 1 talent, you're not going to get fucking mopped up by 20 well, some points. I don't care who the well, fuck. The you funny are. thing is, I saw an interview with the uh, the dad of the former quarterback, he was actually a, like a D1 recruit who's now at Youngstown State. Um, he was possibly going to have other offers, but unfortunately he chose to enroll at Bishop and kind of got fucked over. He, his dad was talking about when they were on the road, they were going to these different camps and going to play these different teams. When they would stay in hotels, uh, Bishop would never pay for the bill. There was one time the dad's credit card got stuck with the bill for all the fucking team like 2500 bucks on his credit card because they were like, yeah, nobody paid for it, so we put it on your card. Jesus. And, like, he was able to luckily get it taken off, but, like, that was just an example. Like, they, they never paid for the stuff that they said they were going to help out with, even even though they were paying, like, I think 10 grand at least a student or some shit like that. IMG is 80 grand a year, by the way, um, if you want to get some perspective on the kind of money that high school parents are willing to probably mortgage their house for to give their kid a chance. And the, the sad thing is, is that this guy talked about his, his son's a decent quarterback and Bishop does have some good wide receiver talent, but their offensive line is so terrible. And it's basically just some guys they're throwing out there that the wide receivers don't get a chance to showcase the true talent they might have. And so there are some guys who might even have talent that you're never going to be able to know. Yeah. And the, the thing is, I just want to point out, right. This this Paragon Marketing Group, if they don't if they don't get fired, I I don't know how because if you go to the website for Bishop Sycamore, the about us and the staff pages, That's guess blank. what? Yeah, they don't exist. They're not there. How the fuck? They're, they're not there. And the fucking and, and the best part about it, the web the address for the school isn't even listed on on the website. What what? Yeah, and the game was online that they had just played. So, like, the, a lot of that story doesn't add up from Paragon. I know ESPN is passing the buck on them saying, like, hey, Paragon should have known. But, like, ESPN, that's your airwave. That's, that's your network. Your logo yeah, you're the one screen. who signs off. Exactly. And that was my point earlier. Like, motherfuckers, you're the one who signs off. But you know what? To quote my man, boss man, Biden, the fucking buck stops here. ESPN it stops yeah. here like ultimately we can we can say that like because I mean yeah Paragon marketing but ultimately ESPN is kind of the ones to blame because they're the ones who have the final say on everything it's their network it's their money essentially um and and, and oh, we're really lucky that we didn't see anybody get hurt that's the main thing um but again you know, I IMG played them last season. So IMG knew they didn't belong on the fucking field with them because I think they beat them like 50-something to three or some shit like that. So, like, fuck IMG as well. Yeah, those coaches are fucking disgusting. But, you know, this is all speculation, obviously. But what I'm thinking is that head coach had to have, like, 
paid money to somebody at that marketing company? Well, I think what, what I think happens is that these schools like IMG, they're, it, they're paying the, these other schools to play against them because IMG basically is known to like not have an easy time of scheduling anybody because nobody wants to play a team that loaded and look, look ridiculous. Because most teams, if you play on like a city team, you have like one, maybe two division one guys if you're a good team. Like these teams have like 10, maybe 15 division one guys. They're basically like all-star teams. Like you said, it's AAU teams in all sense and purposes, you know? And it's just, it's not fair. So a lot of people won't play them. And so you get a team like IMG who has money because they're private school. They'll write a, a, a fake school check for 20 grand. And normally one of these schools would put that towards either the athletic program or the school. But when you have a scam like Bishop Sycamore, that's just going right in that coach's pocket. Oh yeah. And you know, he's skating off, dude. He's, he's living his life. Well, I mean, I don't know if he's skating off cause he's got. Well, I think that he, he, he got fired officially the other day. I think I saw. Yeah. Well, you know, hopefully they, they catch him so he can be arrested on his warrant and um, for, for the alleged keynote there, alleged, if my lawyer's listening, alleged domestic violence charges. Um, I don't know. I think it's just, again, I can't, I can't get over the fact that we literally got to witness a catfish on live television um, to ESPN. Twitter was having a field night, field day Sunday night when I was on there. And like, I don't really watch ESPN because I, I try to avoid that network as much as possible unless I have to. Yes. And once I saw what was going on, I was like, Hey, there's gotta be more to this. And luckily defector had a really good write up, which led me to some other stuff on like awful announcing. I know complex had a really good article. I think that you were looking at as well. Um, I did see some stuff from the Columbus dispatch. That was really good. If you really want to get deep into the story on like the specifics, especially in Columbus and the area there, Columbus dispatch has some really good stuff right now. It's not behind a paywall as far as I could tell. Um, Right. Yeah. So like check their stuff out too, because they had some really interesting write up and there's a lot of history around that area, even I think in up to Michigan where they were like, there was some weird stuff that was going on with teams in Michigan compared to what was going on in Ohio and high school football, college football, that whole environment is so fucked up and fuck ESPN for even showing those games in the first place. You shouldn't be profiting off of high school kids who can't make a single fucking dime off of that broadcast. Exactly. Because, like, the thing that pisses me off, dude, is, like, that money doesn't even go to the booster clubs for those schools, or at least I don't think they do. Well, like I said, the the money (laughs) may go towards the school in whatever way, and that supposedly will trickle down to the students, but you're not having any kind of direct pay to these these student-athletes, and, like, it's even more despicable than college, because they're getting exploited in a much more aggressive way that we'll never know about fully. Like I said, check out that article. Um, on the interview, I can't remember the fucking site right now, but there was that crazy interview with the with the young kid who was that first recruit. Because like, he really just shows how fucked up it was. Go ahead, I interrupted you. Um, no, you're good. I can't remember what I was gonna. Uh... Oh, you said so. My bad. Oh no, actually, no, no, no. I think I remember now. So, what do you think would be um, what's the best way to put it? What what would be an acceptable uh? fucking like uh, a way to handle the the lack of payment for students right do you think closest that... way the closest way I think is similar to what IMG 
would be doing if it wasn't the United States. Or if you look at like the European model, whether it's basketball or, or, or football over there, which is soccer, you have youth academies. You have like Barcelona, you know, the soccer club. It runs a youth academy. You have all these big teams, whether it's Manchester United um, in the, in the you know, Premier League. Uh, you have these teams in, in Latin America that are these huge soccer clubs that uh, the MLS run soccer academies. You have like different uh, basketball academies. I know that's where like, you know, like when you talk about Rubio starting when he was like 14 and 15, he started off in like an academy, right? And it's a way for kids who are obviously talented enough that they're going to be going pro or maybe want to go pro for them to, to get an opportunity to at least get supplemented with some kind of pay. It's not exactly a minor league system in the fact that like, you know, you're, you're getting paid like a pittance and you're riding a shitty bus. Like you're getting hopefully like a decent wage and that kind of thing is the true aspect that you want to go with it. But like, I think that'll be the closest way to do it. Right. Hirsch is like, get rid of high school sports and college sports and the way that we think about it, go with these Academy kind of ways, like whether it's pro teams or other organizations and just make it what it truly is because they're, they're not there for school and to kind of make it any other kind of way is a joke. And we see that with college, especially. Yeah. And I, you know, education is important, but ultimately um, that's not everybody's path is to have a well, career in, with, and, with the background and, of education. But like, what is education too? If you're just getting put in the easiest classes so you can stay eligible, like what's the fucking point, right? Yeah. Well, okay. Like, so to, to add further onto that question, right? Like, let's say if there isn't that streamlined process of adapting like the European model, right? Would you be, would you be okay of the the broadcasting of high school games and shit like that if the the high school athletes were able to get sponsorships and not just sponsorships but whatever gear whatever sponsorships they get they would be able to um, profit off of themselves as well so like well, that's, example, that's the new college rule right like that's the way the NCAA is running it right where you have like a you have the ability to make money off of your likeness you won't necessarily get paid by the school but you can make an endorsement deal etc yes and and that may be a way of of I think solving part of the problem but I think it has to be first of all more equalized. I think you have to have a, a, a baseline of everybody kind of getting at least a certain wage. Like you shouldn't have to be the, you shouldn't have to be the only dude on the team who sells jerseys to make any money. Yeah. You're putting your body on the line too. No, I definitely think there should be like a base value uh, just to protect and ensure everybody, even at the lowest level. I think that well, is important. I think first of all, like guarantee if we had guaranteed medical, uh, insurance or medical uh care for people that'd go a long way towards a lot of the the worry that would that i would have for a lot of these kids because what happens if they get an injury that affects them for the rest of their life you know like they're gonna lose out on earning power quote unquote for the next you know 50 years who's gonna take care of them like even just the bang even just the bang bang plays where you get nicked up over time like when you're 50 and can't walk right, what's going to happen? That kind of thing. Because yeah. most of these guys, like whether you're a great high school player or college player, most of these guys are never going to make the the big money of the pros, you know? 
and hopefully now with the new system, they can at least get some money from, from the endorsement deal. Hopefully, you know, teams will, will find a way to maybe get other guys on the team part of that deal, maybe make it so that it's a team deal and not just individuals, but you're going to see a lot of individual players already making, already making deals, you know, before they're probably even officially out of high school. And the most important thing, and I have to double check and and look into it, but from my understanding, uh, college athletes will also now be able to receive gifts and be able to have um, that, which I know will be a boost. And obviously that it it goes from person to person, how much help that they might receive, but they should get whatever the fuck people think they should get. Yeah. I'm all for that. But I just, I worry about the guys who, you know, they're on that team too and they bust their ass and what happens when they roll their ankle. Yeah. Well, it's like, I remember, you know, uh, our family had known somebody that was in college sports and we couldn't even, give them uh give them a birthday card with money in it because the NCAA if they found out they would have you know so we couldn't we couldn't even give a birthday gift to to somebody that we knew um as as a friend of the family right yeah coaches can't thing. take their team out to dinner you know that kind of stuff yeah which it, it's to me is completely mind blowing and I, I always thought it was the dumbest fucking thing because the the common argument back to it is always like this bullshit. Well, they get free education. They get free motherfucker. They don't get free shit, anything. And not to mention, right, most of these athletes that get scholarships, most of them don't get athletes that include room and board, that include uh, meal vouchers. They don't get that shit. The majority of them don't. So where's your fucking free there? And also on top of that, I'm so fucking sick of that stupid bullshit ass mentality because really what it comes down to is that motherfucker that's making that argument who's saying like, oh, well, they're just getting free this and they're getting special treatment because of the way that they are. Yeah, motherfucker. It's called capitalism, dude. If you're able to bring more to the fucking table, you get more free shit. That's the way that the system's always been. It's always to make it easier for people who are, quote, alpha or grind set mentality motherfuckers. And you're just mad that somebody is able to profit off the system that you fucking suck at, but simultaneously lick the boots of. Yeah, and like, if you don't like the outcome, you should definitely be looking at a different aspect of it than the athlete. Exactly. But, yeah, I just, I think overall, it just kind of puts a spotlight on a pretty shady system overall, which is, you know, profiting off of high school athletics. It just seems pretty fucking weird to me overall. (laughs) But I'm glad we got a chance to to shed a little bit of light. And like I said, I think if people are interested, check out the Columbus Dispatch, check out those other articles we had mentioned. Um, There's a lot more to the story than even we were able to talk about because it does get pretty complex in a couple of different areas. No pun intended. Um, But I don't know if there's anything else, Hirsch, you wanted to talk about tonight or if uh, I think we had a pretty good rundown of what we were hoping to talk about. Yeah, I I think we got through everything. I was just going to do like a quick little wrap up for the last minute or two here, if you didn't mind. Um, Absolutely. So, Steve, how much do you love Bob Ross? Oh, dude, I heard there's a documentary coming out. It's out. And that's why I wanted to ask you, because you know how much I love Bob Ross. I mean, yeah, shit, dude. you guys got me the art of chill game, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, 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 I was reading an article. And I totally thought about getting you that game, and I was like, oh man, I, I'm glad you said something about it. I was totally gonna bring it up, and I forgot. Yeah, like dude, it turns out there's like disagreement between like his former producers and his son, right? Oh man, I, I only watched the first episode, but if you get a chance, I'm telling you, man, I like I, I wanted to watch more, but Nikki yelled at me and she's like, You need to go the fuck to sleep. And I was like, Okay, you know what? You're right, because I haven't slept yet and I need to sleep at some point. So no, I listened I'll, to her. Yeah, I, I definitely want to check it out. So I will watch it and the next fun episode we will talk about it. Yes. Um God, and, and it's just so good. Like I I just gotta quickly say. I know, like, Bob Ross is, like, a meme, especially for a lot of people on Twitch. But as a motherfucker who grew up watching public uh, access television a lot, right? Because I used to be, that, like, I mean, you know. That was out of our house. That was just our background. Yeah, that was that was what was popping. Um, I loved being able to catch Bob Ross, even as a kid, as somebody who wasn't necessarily, like, into painting. He was... A calming presence. He was somebody who was reassuring and he was always smiling. So as a kid, it's like, cool, I like that. Um, but the first episode I watched was absolutely phenomenal and it had me hooked. I'm legit looking at the clock constantly while we're recording, trying to wait for Nikki to come back home so we can watch more of it. Cause I told her, I told her before we went to bed, like, no, we need to fucking finish this. Um, so that's one thing that I wanted to bring up really quickly. And another subject was actually suggested to me by a good friend of the podcast, Cookies. Um, and he was talking about a uh, system or a program that's known as Neuralink. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, not off the top of my head, no. Okay, so you remember some years ago when Bill Gates was like, hey, man, it would be really cool if we could install some sort of like fucking microchip that could be like an interface for humans and shit. Is that what like Elon Musk was talking about? Where like you can listen to music in your head and shit? Yes, that's exactly okay. what it is. Yeah, fuck um, that noise. There's been some developments on that, but I mostly would like to do an episode or at least a segment rather. Um, just kind of talking about how fucking crazy of an idea it is to s- install something and feel that, like, I-, I hate to sound like one of these crazy-ass anti-vaxxers I'm going to right now, so I apologize. I'm going to repent after this episode. But you're really going to trust somebody like Elon fucking Musk to inject you with a neural processor and not control it for the fuck of it to see what happens? You don't think that we're all guinea pigs to these motherfuckers? Or that it's just not going to work and fuck your brain up? Yeah, exactly. Fuck That's that my shit. worry. It's not that he's going to do anything sinister, that it's just going to be incompetent and cheap. No, dude, it's going to be fucking sinister, dude. I don't trust Elon Musk. He's a reptile. Oh, I don't You're trust him either. Dude. I just don't trust him because I think he's lazy and a dumbass. I said it. My conspiracy brethren can rejoice, dude. I'm one of you, dude. Fucking reptile people exist. Oh, dude. David Icke? David Icke or whatever the fuck his name is? I never know how to pronounce it. Like... That dude, like, he's my OG, like, introducing me to that crazy shit that's out there. Like, thank you, David Ike. Because like, yeah. if it wasn't for you, I would have never been interested in all this stupid shit, and I love it. Dude, reptilian people exist. Um, thank you. Like, he fights with the QAnon people. Like, some of the QAnon people think it's reptiles and shit, but, like, other people don't. And, like, it's a whole thing. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. 
No, 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 you're good. Um, I just want to say thank you, Stu. Thank you. Um, for a great episode. I really love this one. Uh, the subjects were really, the subjects were up my alley. Uh, I, I was really happy to get some suggestions from our audience. To everybody who's listening still, thank you so much for supporting, for continuing to support. Um, our next episode that we'll be releasing, um, if I remember correctly off my memory, is going to be about Nicaragua. Um, Nicaragua. So make sure that you stick around for that. It's going to be a very important. Sorry, episode. that was really bad. I shouldn't have said it like that. <laughs> no, no, dude, I said it's stupid too. Um, but it's going to be an important episode just because it's going to pertain to a lot of future episodes, just kind of like everything else uh, that's come before, um, especially when it comes to regards of United States military and covert operations, as well as the American uh, drug trade. Uh, We're talking about fucked up drug shit. Yep, all sorts of stuff. We're going to be talking about that Rick James special, baby, that cocaine. Cocaine's uh, <laughs> a hell of a drug. Damn right. Um, but yeah, if there's anything else you wanted to add, to before we wrap it up? No, I was about to say we're doing Nicaragua next. I think probably just got a couple episodes left in Latin America, and then we'll be moving on to something else. So, like, it's kind of scary to think that we're almost done. Yeah, I know. Well... Luckily, there's a lot of fucked up shit in the world, and there's still plenty of subjects to uh, to go about. Um, on behalf of Stu and myself, thank you all for listening, and looking forward to the next episode. Don't forget to wash your hands and wipe your butt. Bye. <laughs>